Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. I'm glad you're uh, One of the things that's true of living as a fallen person in a fallen world is that you will trouble in it. Uh, in chapter 14, verse 1 of the book that bears his name, Job laments, Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. However long you live, and we don't live that long, many of the days that you will live on this earth are not going to be all that joyful. Not naturally. At least not easily. And more to the point, uh, if you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you will as often add to the trouble that is part of your life down here on this planet as reduce it. Amen? Members of the church in Thessalonica to whom the letter we've been uh, studying uh, was written experienced exactly that. Their belief in Jesus Christ was followed by immediate, severe persecution. Some of them, by the time the first letter has, was written, had died as a result of their following Jesus. And so sometimes, even though we are as believers in Christ looking forward to the future day of the Lord, when evil is finally vanquished in all of its forms, when death is dead, when sin is no more, and I love this phrase, um, borrowing it from Tim Keller, uh, who went home to be with the Lord this last week, that everything sad will come untrue. You know that's true, men and women? That everything sad in your life is ultimately untrue. The resurrection of Jesus Christ will cause those events to work backward and to be redeemed. But we're waiting for that day. And a lot of skeptics will point at us and say things like this. That you Christians, all you've got is promises of pie in the sky, by and by. Have you heard this line? Life down here remains hard and sad. So how would you answer someone who says something like that? And more importantly, what would you say to your own heart when you're in a hard season like that? What message would you preach to your soul at times like that that would enable you to stand firm in your faith when your life is being shaken. While you're pondering what you might say, I invite you to turn with me over to the book of 2 Thessalonians. That's in your New Testament, uh, most of the way back to the back. Um, and um, you find 1 Thessalonians, just flip over another couple pages to 2 Thessalonians, right? If you find Revelation, go back about 10 books and you'll get to 2 Thessalonians, okay? Um, but, uh, but 2 Thessalonians, if you're able, if you would please stand. We're going to read uh, from chapter 2, that's the big number, uh, beginning of verse 13, that's the little smaller numbers that are there in your Bible. Okay, we're going to pick up in verse 13. And this is what the Word of God says. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you.
as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we have read, so we pray that you... And for your mercy, and Father, we pray that both might be abundant to us, that they might be Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, what do you do when your life is shaken? How do you stand firm in your faith then? Uh, if you if you're a Christian and you you have studied your Bible for a while, you won't be surprised that the answer to that question is first of all to remember the gospel. Remember the good news that God loves you and saves you by His grace through faith in Jesus. That is uh, essentially what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians in verses 13 and 14. Now, now let me be real clear with you on this, okay? Uh, sometimes when we talk about remember the gospel, what, we're, what we think is remember the intellectual aspects of the, of the gospel story. That Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. That's all true. Okay? But when you're struggling in your life, when life is shaken, you're like, man, that seems kind of dry. That seems kind of heady and theological, and I'm not sure how that's supposed to give me comfort. It's because you're not yet thinking about what the Gospel actually means. What the Gospel actually means is this. Is that the God who loves you became one of us. Let me quote Job again. Job at one point in his pain looks up at God and he says, Do you have eyes of flesh? Do your eyes see? In other words, let me bring it out of the poetic here. God, do you get it? Do you know what it's like to be me? I'm in pain here. Do you know what it's like to be me? And the glory of the Gospel is that the answer to that question is yes. Yes. The God who loves you became one of us. One of us. And He didn't come, if you'll remember, in great grandeur and glory. Some of you who are as old as me will remember a song uh, from the mid-90s called One of Us by a, uh, as far as I know, non-Christian 
uh, named Joan Osborne. And the, the chorus of the song went like this. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus. Right? And at the risk of being irreverent, let me say that that's exactly what the Gospel says. Is that God became one of us and lived a life like one of us. And not in grandeur and glory, but as a guy from a hillbilly town in a hillbilly part of the country of Israel. Which is why one of his own followers says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It would be like, it would be like coming and living in our country as a resident of the back hills of West Virginia. And then coming to New York and people going, the Messiah from West Virginia? Are you sure? You, you feel me on this? So, so the answer to the question, in other words, does God know what it's like? Yes, He knows what it's like to be you, to be me. He suffered. He died on the cross for you and for your sins. Was raised from the dead to give you new life. Does God know what it's like? Absolutely, He knows what it's like. So when we're talking about remember the gospel, remember the fact that we serve a crucified, suffering, resurrected Savior. Feel me? Now, uh, so what Paul is saying here is this: He's saying, "Look, you guys are persecuted people." And in the context of these verses, verse beginning in verse thirteen. Uh, Paul has been talking about the judgment that God is going to bring on the Antichrist and on people and all who followed after them. And all of that will happen. But not yet. And as a source of hope in the present when your life is hard, all that future stuff can seem very remote. And so Paul shifts gears. Changes his focus from the future to the present. From what will happen to the unsaved to what has already happened to Christians like these Thessalonians. And in the present, Paul says that he and Silas and Timothy, the men who planted the church in Thessalonica, look at verse 13, should always give thanks to God for you because God has saved them. Remember, these are people whom the apostles love. These are people to whom they wrote in their first letter, chapter 2, verse 8, that we loved you so much we shared with you not only the Gospel, but our very lives. These are beloved people. They thank God that He acted to save them, but more than that, look at how God's actions are described to them. First of all, they are described as brothers. You're our brothers. That is... You are members with us of God's own family with the same status as the apostles. You know that's also true of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? That there's not like the apostles, the saints, and then like y'all. Right? Okay, I know there are churches out there that that, but that's not the truth that the Bible reveals. What the Bible says is that there's no B team. That in fact, we are at the head of the class. That we are 
joint heirs with Jesus Christ Himself, that He is our brother, and therefore we are all brothers. How about that? Above that, you can't go. Adopted as a son of God is the highest status a human being can can attain. And so the apostles are reminding them, hey, you are brothers. Uh, You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the begotten Son. More than that, you are, look at this phrase, beloved by the Lord. God Himself loves them. Jesus laid down His life for them and for you, not simply to vindicate God's holiness and judgment against sin, but because, guess what? He loves you. He loves you. He loves the people whom He saves. And you need to not only hear that and read that, but feel that. Deep in your guts. Because knowing that more deeply than everything else that's going on in your life, if you want to grow in Christ, this is the key to it. Knowing and really believing at the level of your emotions that God loves you. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, Jesus loves you, but I'm His favorite. <laughs> and I wanted to get it, right? <laughs> um, but, but the reality is, when it comes to the love of Jesus for you, you're His favorite. And that's true of all of us. That He didn't just die, die for you to save you from sin. He died for you because He loves you. And He has loved you for a long time. Uh, let me look at. Let, look, keep looking at your Bible here. God not only loved you, He chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Now, there's a textual problem there. Okay, uh, and one of the one of the reasons there's a textual problem there is that there we're not sure if that's um, uh, two words where it would be translated as the first fruits. Or, I mean, I mean, whether it's one word where it would be translated first fruits, or whether it's two words which would be translated from the beginning. How many of you all have a Bible that says from the beginning? Any of you? Okay, a few of you have a Bible that says from the beginning. Uh, some of you have a Bible like mine. Uh, ESV translates it first fruits. When, when the Greek New Testament was written, there was no spaces and no punctuation. And so if you have a Bible... That um, that is written that way. It's hard to tell sometimes where the word breaks on. And so, if it says "ap arcane," that would be from the beginning. In other words, before there was a creation of the world, God loved you and chose you to be His. If it is the other way, if it's to be read the other way, uh, then it means first. Whereas he's writing to these to this group of people who were the first people to believe in this area, and so God chose them to be the first fruits to be saved. Not sure which way it goes, but the idea here is this: that God not only loved you, but He picked you. He chose you, and it's a word that's used many, many times in many, many places throughout the Bible. 
to say that God doesn't simply offer salvation at random, but saves specific people whom He chose, whom He loved before He made the world. If you are saved today, it is because God chose you and worked to bring the Gospel to you that He might save you. Okay? Now that brings up a whole theological set of questions for many of us, and it's not my purpose to get into all of that today, but let the, let the clear language of the Bible speak to you. That God picked you out. He saw you and went to get you and organized the world and all of the circumstances in it so that you specifically might be saved. Now that's true of every person who's a believer in Christ. It's also true of every person who will be a believer in Christ. That God is working the circumstances of the world to bring about the salvation of those whom He loves and has chosen. Now look at the next phrase here in verse 13. You see how intertwined sanctification and belief are? God saved us when we believe the Gospel, or as the text says here, belief in the truth. So, Belief in the truth is just another way of speaking about you believe the Gospel. God saved us when we believed in the Gospel. And the theological term for that is our justification. That we are declared, this is what justification means, that we are declared righteous in the moment of our faith in Christ and we uh, have been saved in the past tense. Right, Our salvation has happened already. We've received it. But there's a sense that the Bible talks about our salvation as something that is an ongoing and a progressive and happening continuously afterward thing whereby the Spirit makes us holy. That's what the Bible calls sanctification. Where you not only have been saved from the power of sin, you are being saved daily from, the, uh, from submitting to the power of sin in your life. That as you follow Jesus, continuing to work in your life to save you and separate you from sin, that you become more holy, you become more like Jesus. Okay? Now, it's not salvation in the same sense as your justification, but it's still an aspect of being saved from sin. Right? And then it also talks about, uh, and we'll get to this here in a second. Um, uh, about our glorification, that's the final aspect of our salvation, that one day we will be saved completely, right? So we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, right? So present, uh, so our past, present, and future is secure. And all these things are interlocked, okay? The Bible always speaks of these things as being chained together. Justification, uh, in other words, having been saved, having believed in Jesus Christ, produces sanctification. And at the end of that is our glorification. Alright? So, there's even, there's even more that's just as true uh, of us as it was of the church of Thessalonica. Just like them, God called us to salvation through the same gospel that the apostles preached to them. The same testimony about Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead, was proclaimed to you and to me. The same gospel. 
There's only one gospel that saves, and it's that one, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life. And the same gospel that we believe is the same one the apostles preached and it is the same one that brings people to faith today all over the world. Um, uh, you are not saved. This word called means you are not saved by accident. Okay? You didn't just stumble into salvation. God worked and called you. He Use the circumstances of your life to get the gospel to you. Why did he do that? Because he loved you from before there was time. He loved you from before there was time. He knew you. He loved you. Called you to himself. Said, come to me. And you responded. Why did he? Because God was calling you. He loved you and he wanted you to be saved. Look at your look at your Bible, verse 14, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is the third way the Bible speaks about salvation. Our salvation is in the future yet when the presence of sin is removed entirely from you and you will share in the glory of the one who saved you. Lord Jesus, the Messiah. You will share in His glory. I don't exactly know what that looks like. But I know this, that the glory of the Son of God is co-eternal and co-equal with the glory of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit. So if you are sharing in that, you are sharing in the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, that you're utterly transformed, that you will never die, that there will be no taint of sin on you whatsoever, that you will be completely restored to everything that you were meant to be, that you will reflect the image of God in the same way that Jesus does. In other words, you will be, uh, one of the things C.S. Lewis said was, that you will be a creature that if someone saw you today, what you will be then, they will be strongly tempted to bow down and worship you. You will share in the glory of God. So, when life is shaken, here's part of the answer to the question. How do you stand firm when life is shaken? You remember the Gospel. You remember that Jesus Christ became a man like you. Went through a life like you lived. Suffered like you Died like you will die. And then you remember that He is the God who loves you and saved you. That you were a member of God's family. That you are God's beloved. That you were chosen before the world was made to be saved through faith and being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That you were called to believe in Jesus that you might share in His glory forever. And because all these things are true, you can then stand firm and hold on to the things that you were taught. The apostles taught the Thessalonians many things, both uh, in person and in these that we have. And they're told, look here, verse 15, stand firm, 
So then, in other words, as a result of what we've just been telling you, stand firm and hold on to these truths. Now, some of y'all are going to see that word tradition in there and they're going to get all kinds of thrown off. Okay, don't get thrown off. It simply means those things that were passed down to them in a faithful and authoritative way. At the time this book is written, um, this book of meaning 2 Thessalonians was written, the New Testament had not all been assembled yet. In fact, most of the Gospel accounts were not all written yet. Um, and uh, what the early church relied on was authoritative testimony from those who had seen and been witnesses of Jesus' life and ministry. And they were called, anybody know? Apostles. <laughs> okay. That was their job. In order to be an apostle, you had to be someone who was part of Jesus' ministry, who had witnessed it, who had seen it, who had seen Jesus die and be raised from the dead, who had heard Jesus teach, who had seen His miracles, and so forth. These were the people who were designated the authoritative witnesses. Okay? In fact, Jesus tells them that. You will be my what? Witnesses. You're to tell people what you've seen and heard. And Paul is, uh, he refers to himself as one abnormally born. Do you know why? Because he was an apostle, but he didn't start out as a follower of Jesus. He witnessed Jesus' entire life and ministry, not as a follower, but as an opponent. As someone who wanted to stamp out everything that Jesus said and did. When did Jesus see the? I mean, when did Paul see the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road when he met him, and the Lord struck him down off of his donkey he was riding, and he said, "Who are you, Lord?" Remember? And Jesus speaks to him from heaven and says, "I am Jesus whom you are persecuting." That's how Paul became an apostle. It was the backwards way, but nevertheless, he was an authoritative witness because he had seen and heard all of Jesus' ministry, and he had seen the resurrected Jesus. So, just to apply this a little further, are there apostles today? No, there are not. You know why? Because there are no living people who witness Jesus' ministry or have seen him resurrected from the dead. Okay? So there are no living apostles. There is no apostolic succession. In other words, you can't pass on this role because there's no way that anyone after that first generation can meet the qualifications of an apostle. So these guys, their job was to pass on in an authoritative way the things that they knew and had seen. This ministry. Um, so, uh, before they were all written down, they were called traditions. What are we talking about? The teachings and life and ministry of Jesus. Um, now that we have all of the apostolic teaching reliably recorded for us, the same principle applies for us as applied to them. Hold fast of God's Word as recorded in the Scripture. Stand firm on that foundation. When the culture shifts, when persecution rises, whenever life is shaken, 
what never moves at all is God's Word and His testimony. It never needs updating. It never changes. It's never out of date. It's always relevant. What it needs is to be believed and obeyed and submitted to. Amen? That's what it means to hold fast to the teaching you receive. That you believe it, obey it, follow it. And so the same thing that Paul told them, he's telling all of us. That just as you were taught, so continue to believe and practice and walk. Okay? So when life is shaken, hold on to, hold fast to your Bible. Hold on to your Bible. Hold on to the gospel first, remembering who you are in Jesus Christ. And hold on to your Bible. Man, it's easy when, when life gets tough to be like, I don't want to do my quiet time today. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read that book. I've been there. But hold on to your Bible. Hold on to it like a, like a life preserver in a storm. Because here you will meet the Lord day by day. And He will show up and speak to you through His pages. Hold on to it. Finally here, verse 16 and 17. When your life is shaken, pray for God's comfort and for spiritual maturity. Look, look with me at these verses. Let me read them again. Now may our Lord, this is a prayer. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. These, these verses are the first prayer in this letter. And they are words that look to the Lord Jesus and to the Father as the source of comfort when life is shaken. Why look to the Father and the Son? Because the Father gave you eternal comfort and good hope through grace. What's Paul talking, talking about here? He's circling back again to the Gospel. Men and women, we don't outgrow our need for the Gospel just because we became believers. You know that? This is something we have to continually remind ourselves of. The gospel is not just the means by which you come into relationship with God. The gospel is the means by which you live the Christian life. You have eternal comfort and good hope because by God's grace you are saved. And that means your eternity is one of complete comfort. The Apostle John describes it this way. These are some of my favorite verses. I read them at every graveside, at every funeral I've ever preached because they are so good. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every 
from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither will be there mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We will be comforted from all of our affliction for all of eternity because of who we are in Christ. We have hope, therefore, not in the sense of wishing for a reality that we aren't sure whether or not it will happen, but in the sense of anticipating a day that we know is coming. This Thursday will be my 27th wedding anniversary. Okay, if you are as shocked by that as I am, okay, (laughs) Um, you can celebrate with me. Okay, and I say shocked because I can't believe that I have successfully convinced any woman, never mind this one, uh, to stay with me for that long. Right? Uh, Truly, I came out on the good end of this deal. Right? We are getting away overnight, the two of us, without our children. They're all home for the summer, and we love them, but also we like the house being empty, and they're in it. And so um, so we're going away for overnight, right? And I am anticipating with great eagerness being away, right? And enjoying Friday night dinner up at Starved Rock in the lodge staying overnight there, getting up the next morning, having breakfast with her, right? This is a reality that I know is coming, going to happen, right? Now, as much as I will enjoy that, that will not compare to the joy that I will have when I stand before the Lord. It will not compare to the joy I will have when I stand before the Lord. And that is more certain to happen. I don't know if I'm going to live till Friday. Right? I got no guarantees of that. Now, by God's grace, I probably will. But if I don't, and that, does, that, that event never comes to pass, I know one that will. I will stand before the Lord. And He will wipe every affliction and tear and even the memory of them from my life. We have great comfort and eternal hope by God's grace. Amen? And because of that, we can then pray to the One who gives comfort in our circumstances for comfort now. We know we're going to get it later, so we can pray for it now and for spiritual maturity through the things that we're going through. That's what he's talking about here at the end of the verse. When he, in verse 17, May the one who gives eternal comfort comfort our hearts now and establish them. In other words, help us grow up into every good work and word in the meantime. That's spiritual maturity. Right? You know that one of the things that God uses in your life to make you grow up and look like Jesus is affliction, suffering, and pain. For a fact, they're part of the curriculum. 
you don't get to opt out. Uh, that assignment's going to be graded. Um, and you're going to go through some stuff. And God's purpose in it is to make you like Jesus. Right? And so Paul is saying, look, pray to the God who gives eternal comfort, not only for comfort in your circumstances, but that you might grow up to maturity through them. In other words, that you wouldn't waste your sorrows, which is the title of another great book you should read. Um, don't waste your sorrows. As you go through pain, be looking for how God wants to use that in your life to help you grow up to look like Jesus, that you might be established in every good work and word. That what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your life would look like Jesus, in other words. So, in case anybody missed it, when your life is shaken, what do we do? First of all, remember that God loves you and saved you. Remember, you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, this is only true if you're a believer. If you're not a believer yet, can I just encourage you, invite you, exhort you to change that? Because there is nothing better in life than following Jesus. And it is worth everything that it would cost you. He is the treasure hidden in the field and you would happily and should happily sell everything you possess to gain Jesus. But if you're a believer, you are God's beloved. You are chosen, saved by God's grace through faith. You are being sanctified by the Spirit because you are called to believe in Jesus that you might share in His eternal glory. Remember who you are. More importantly, remember whose you are. You are God's beloved. And that does not change just because life gets hard. Life's going to get hard. But your status as a child of God will never change. He loves you with an everlasting love. And He will take you home to glory. And in addition to that, hold on to the truth that you were taught. Don't forget that God speaks to you in His Word. Sometimes people are like, how do I get God to hear me? Or how do I hear from God? And I go, well, I know one thing for sure. You can't do it with a closed Bible. Because how does God talk to us? In His Word. How do we talk to Him? In prayer. So don't try to have a one-sided conversation with the Lord. Right? Where you talk to Him about all the things you want and never listen to anything He says. Right? Hold on to the Word. Don't forget what God is speaking to you. Hold on to His promises. Hold on to the truth. Don't forget that God is working in you and through you for your good and His glory. Your faith does not need an update and God's Word is still true. So stand firm on it. Hold to the truth in it even while the world around you shakes. And lastly, pray for comfort and spiritual maturity through your circumstances. God has already solved your biggest problem, which is that you're a sinner who apart from his grace and your faith in Jesus Christ is destined for eternal death in hell. And instead of that, 
By His grace, through your faith in Christ, He has given you eternal comfort and hope in Jesus. So God's already dealt with the biggest problem you'll ever face. Will the God who already did that for you because He loved you from eternity past and still loves you fail to give you comfort today? No, He will not fail to comfort you even today. Will the God who used Christ's suffering to bring salvation to the world and to us fail to use our suffering to sanctify us? No. He will use our suffering to sanctify us. He will absolutely do these things for us. You want a prayer that God will absolutely answer? Here's one. May the God of eternal comfort Comfort me now. May the God who through Jesus' suffering brought salvation to me through my suffering sanctify me. God will answer that. And if you pray these things, you will find the Lord faithful to give them to you. You will find the Lord faithful to give you comfort. You will find the Lord faithful to work in your life and whatever pain you're facing to bring about your transformation to look more like Jesus. So, when life shakes, remember that God loves you and saves you. Hold on to the truth you were taught. Pray for comfort and maturity as a result of these things. Amen? So let's do that. Father, we are so prone to forget when we suffer, when we're afflicted, when we struggle in life, we're so prone to forget that You love us. We're prone to look up at, at what we think of as an empty sky and wonder if You're there and wonder if You see and wonder if You know what it's like. Father, You proved that everlastingly in the incarnation of Jesus that God does indeed know what it's like. And Father, we, we therefore pray that You would help us to remember that we are Yours and that we are loved. And that we are more than that saved from sin and death and hell by the grace that is given to us in Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone here who hasn't put their trust in Jesus Christ yet, I pray that today would be the day that changes. And they enter into membership in Your family in response to the gospel call going out from this pulpit, Father, I pray that they would hear Your voice and respond. Help them, Father, to believe by Your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray too that You would help us to hold on to the truth. And I pray that You would help us to seek You when we're in pain and find Your comfort and find through it the kind of spiritual maturity You seek these things. And Father, we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And by your Holy Spirit's power, we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.